We're nearly there. Honestly. Let's get started. Another race for the world's greatest driver, Juan Manuel Fangio. Former world champion Jim Clark leapt into the lead. That's Clark's Lotus going like a bomb. But James Hunt is the world champion by just one single point. By being a racing driver, you are under risk all the time. And if you no longer go for a gap that exists, you're no longer a racing driver. And that is Michael Schumacher ahead, the world champion. To become a four-time world champion, Sebastian Vettel, Lewis Hamilton, champion of the world. That's for all the kids out there who dream the impossible. Max Verstappen, for the first time ever, is champion of the world. Hello and welcome to episode 34 of F1 in Review, the episode in the hour where we discuss the latest moves in the driver market and in the Constructors' Championship, this one yet to be decided in terms of its winner. I'm Tom Claibon and I'm joined by Tristan Fancourt and Angus Gallagher. A reminder that you can follow myself and Tristan individually on Twitter as well as the F1 in Review accounts where the episodes are now posted automatically once they've gone out on our podcast provider or the one you listen to this podcast on. So we launch straight into the latest moves in the the driver markets and before actually Japan kicked off it was confirmed that Pierre Gasly would be joining Alpine and replacing Fernando Alonso he's of course going off to Aston Martin now in the days before this announcement it looked like it was a question of more when not if the 26 year old would leave Avatari and join his compatriot in the French constructor a fun fact for you all and believe me this is rather fun <laughs> Gasly and Ocon are the first mm. entirely French driver lineup in F1 since 1994. Spoiler alert, before I was born. So yes, Gasly signed a two-year contract with the team. This can be extended until 2025, so we're told it now means, yes, he's finally left the Red Bull Academy, is free for good or for ill. First of all then, fellas, what's our thoughts on this news regarding Pierre Gasly going to Alpine? Yeah, very French, isn't it? That's, uh, yeah. It's either going to be disastrous or like a, a match made in heaven i guess because well you know stereotypically speaking the french are quite strong characters and motorsport again brings out quite strong characters and passion and the french i think are quite passionate people and to you french listeners out there i mean that in a very good way you've got to remember coming from the the british perspective where we are all emotionally inept um we, we look at you with mild envy at your ability to express your innermost desires and passions where we we sort of give each other you know, knowing looks um and move on <laughs> we need closure uh and so we're gonna have two very french people and pierre gasly i mean his name's pierre and uh yeah two very french people in a very French team. It's a shame that <laughs> Cyril Abitabol, the uh, old Renault Formula One team principal, is not going to be there either. Because to have Gasly, Ocon and Abitabol in a team, I think then that would be a p- passion overload. Too much, you know, too much Frenchness would occur there. But, I mean, to be honest, uh, Esteban Ocon isn't necessarily renowned for his ability to get on with his teammates. <laughs> and he and Sergio Perez, and I'd like to point out that Sergio Perez is Spanish and not French, so there's slightly less passion involved, I think, um, tried to kill each other on the track a couple of times <laughs> by the end of it. And I could see, potentially, Pierre Gasly and Esteban Ocon, let's say, coming to blows over um, problems in the team. But saying that, the other way I think it's going to go, and there's no, there's not going to be an in the middle here, it's going to be one or the other, is their French passion will combine to, into like a, like a fondue of goodness that will propel the uh, Alpine team up the grid and into, well, I, I hope, like 2006, 2007 Renault era of goodness, um, because that level of passion, commitment, and knowing the sport and and the team as well having that that roots in your you know french roots means that 
you know they bring a certain je ne sais quoi to the to the team so maybe that should be the the new alpine slogan alpine bringing the je ne sais quoi back to formula one they can have that one on me and so yeah i think it's i think it's really good though for pierre gasly because i think we alluded to this in the last episode that pierre gasly was not going to go anywhere at alpha tauri the the projection for him at alpha tauri was stay in alpha tauri leave the sport this has allowed him to move out of the clutches a, a little just a little bit of dr helmet marco and given that red bull and dr helmet marco in particular didn't particularly like pierre gasly because they kind of showed him up you know they went oh you're rubbish when you were in red bull and then he went off back to alpha tauri and proceeded to be brilliant again um i think him leaving the watchful eye of um dr helmet marco will certainly be really good for him and also allow him the opportunity to spread his wings a little bit more and you know be in a in what we would say is a, one of the you know mid to top teams of formula one i i expect out alpine this year to to end up beating mclaren which makes them a pretty good pick actually and he gets a little alpine car out of it as well probably i assume um as opposed to driving alpha tauri's shirts and trousers for the for the next year so that's really my initial thoughts really good actually for for pierre gasly free gasly is finally over the no need no longer needs to say those two words he is free from the the chains of alpha tauri but on a serious note i think this is a a very good move for both parties i think that as much as Alpine have had to um, advance this action based on the less good moves of annoying their star driver and losing their top young talent, um, which without that they would, wouldn't be in this situation. But I think of the options left on the grid, they've chosen the best one for sure. Not that, again, not, not also the there was a paucity in options, not that they were choosing between lesser drivers. They've picked someone who... In the words of um, Otmar Safnau, Alpine team principal, Pierre Gasly is still only like 26, 27, which seems hard to believe. It feels like he's been around for ages now. Um, but he has, in Otmar Safnau's words, the right combination of youth and experience, which is fair because he's been around for a few years. This, this is Next year will be his sixth full year in Formula One. Um, he is a race winner. He's also got two other podiums on, in addition to that, in a car which has realistically never been higher than the sixth or seventh fastest on the grid. Um, he's had a bit of an off year compared to his previous high standards this year after what was a blinding 2021 season and a blinding 2020 season. Um, but this is a driver who is very, very determined, very, very fast, still has a point to prove. I think he'll always have a point to prove based on what happened at Red Bull um, and everything there. I also think that it's going to be fascinating to see how he gets on with Esteban Ocon. Because if you, if you read if you read the rumours, apparently these two don't get on very well. They were obviously French, both, I think, born in the same year, so quite possibly in the same karting categories, the same age categories. Um Having done my research, they are in fact born just seven months apart in 1996. So they'd have come across each other a lot. Um, and there was a possible rumour of animosity, animosity between the two as the t- as they both got older. Um, whether this remains to be seen, we will have to, have to see as time goes forward. But I think that in terms of the potential to produce results... In for Alpine, what they hope will be a quicker car next year, and one that will pull. They aim will they will aim to pull clear of the mid the F1 midfield. I think that it's a very very solid lineup for them. It has great potential. You've got two. You've at the end of the day, you've got two race winners in there, um, which can't be said for and not all. You can't be said for all midfield drivers in F1 at the moment. You've got um, two drivers who are very determined who have been classed as future world champions in the past. Um, and also, they're two drivers who, in the best possible way, their potential and their talent, almost not that anyone deserves a top seat, but they are two drivers who deserve to be at the top end of the midfield rather than the bottom. They don't deserve to be stuck down to Haas or a, an Aston Martin or something like that, a team who'd struggled most of the season. They deserve to be at an Alpine where they are regularly hoovering up points and they are there ready to take advantage of the odd podium or victory opportunity 
at the moment, that being until Alpine manages to produce a race-winning car, if they do in the next few years. Um, so yeah, I think it's a, a good signing. And for Gasly, he's um, his potential. He's, it's no doubt. It's a tricky one with the Red Bull Driver Academy because it's no, there's no doubt that they have a very tough policy and it's quite brutal. And for some drivers, it's ruined their careers. I think of someone like back in the day, someone like Jean Eric Verne or Sebastian Buemi, both very talented drivers who have gone on to achieve great things in other motorsport series, but in Formula One didn't quite make the cut and paid the price. But at the same time, the Driver Academy has produced people like Verstappen and Vettel, so like it's justified the way they do things. But Gasly was someone who didn't flourish when he was given the chance to be at Red Bull. It's been better for him to be at Alpha Tauri and you got the impression that he was kind of stuck at Alpha Tauri forever and ever should he not have left the Red Bull stable. So I think for him it's a good move to be free from that. And of course, that tough up, tough um, Red Bull upbringing that Helmut Marko and Dietrich Mateschitz and Christian Horner and Franz Tost and everyone, what they offer there is tough, but it has made many drivers. And it's also given drivers who have not flourished as much valuable lessons in how to succeed and how to apply themselves. So I think that he's now at a stage, Gasly, where he can take all that he's learnt in that setting, be free, be free from it, but also be able to translate that into success at another team. So I think overall, a very good move for Alpine, considering what they had left on the table, and a good move for Gasly, based on where his career was heading and what that like path for him was looking like. So I think it's a um, yeah a good move overall for both parties. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have to agree. It's very nice to see Alpine sorting themselves out before the new season because if we go back to last episode, I think we were all voicing concerns about what was left on the table, what they could have had, and really the fact that they were having to go to other teams, cap and handle to former drivers if they wanted to go to Daniel Ricciardo, but alas, they chose not that option. But Pierre Gasly is undisputably a very good driver this season, where AlphaTauri have been struggling, as we'll get on to. He's scored points six times out of 18 races. P13 in the Drivers' Championship, six points off Daniel Ricciardo, is probably where we expect him to be, if not slightly higher than you'd expect, really, when you look at the car he's in and the cars that are better than him doing worse, uh, or the drivers who are driving them, should I say. But um, to, yeah, to echo your points, not too much more to add, really, I suppose. If I were to be playing devil's advocate a bit negative, it's a bit less exciting than what they could have had. Oscar Piastri and Esteban Ocon versus Esteban Ocon and Pierre Gasly. That seems a bit of a downgrade in my view, particularly when you consider the friction that we know exists between these two drivers going back to their karting days. So that's an issue that uh, myself and I will have to deal with. He's done that before in many aspects uh, when it came to Racing Point and also a bit really between Ocon and Alonso because... While they've been happy and smiling for the cameras on the racetrack, they've been very happy to get the the old uh, elbows out and um, show each other that, yes, you may be in the same car as me, but I'm not going to give you preferential treatment, really. So he's not going to this green in terms of having to manage two drivers. But I think that's really important for Alpine because they've got so much funding behind them. They seem to be on a good upward trajectory when you look at the fact that they've been able to pull away uh, Omar Safnar and um, BWT from uh, Aston Martin, who are now. Um, so things are looking up. So they need two drivers to be pulling in the same direction and being more team players than individuals. I'm confident, really, that both drivers can do that. Gasly, for one, has always been happy to be a team leader and to play the, the team role as well. Like he's led Alpha Tari, for example, and helped nurture and sort of bring through Yuki Tsunoda without being too abrasive and aggressive and domineering in many aspects. And also he's played the support role to Verstappen, albeit not too successfully, but he's played that role. So, yeah, congratulations to him. Looking forward to seeing what he can do. Um, 26 years old as well. He's quite young. You've got arguably 10 more years left of Gasly, be that at Alpine or elsewhere, really. So um be interested to see what they can do. But uh, if they can consolidate fourth in this championship, then you're looking forward to the next going, well, they could go one better if uh, things don't work out for other teams. Beforehand, uh, before the these announcements, when we were mocking Alpine for all the shenanigans that occurred, if you remember, this was all uh, catalyzed by a certain Fernando Alonso deciding to leave the sport reflecting on it now would you say that with uh, Alonso leaving and then picking up Pierre Gasly this puts 
Alpine in a better position long term or do you think it was better for them to keep Fernando Alonso what do you think I think Gansley getting him in over Alonso is definitely the better choice in the long term because 26 versus the very end of your career I think is you know so so more important longevity as well and it's not like you're giving up I suppose talent are you for youth it's not like you're you're recruiting a serious rookie like someone like Oscar Piastri for that matter going from one end of the spectrum in terms of age experience and talent to I suppose a raw green young talent so I think Gasly is a good successor to uh, Alonso of course he's not going to be as good as him I think in many aspects I think they will lose the Alonso factor that's perhaps pulled them up to P4 uh, in some aspects in terms of the points he's been able to accumulate but um if I was, you know, if I was Alpine looking before and after, I'd say they've landed on their feet fairly well here. It's an interesting one because I still think that losing Fernando Alonso is a stinker. Um, I know he's 41, but he's still very, very good. Um, he's arguably the best 41-year-old that Formula 1's ever seen, quite possibly, in terms of the levels he's produced. Um, and losing Oscar Piastri is also a stinker because they've invested so much time into him. Um, they couldn't get their contracts right and then they had to pay all those silly legal fees which they could have avoided had they actually kept a promise um, and then not tried to arguably degrade his point of view of the whole contract situation Um, but at the the end of the day picking up Gasly as the replacement is actually not too bad they've actually rescued it pretty well had they ended up with a for example with with no disrespect to the man Antonio Giovinazzi or Nico, or no disrespect to this man, Nico Hulkenberg, you would have gone, ugh, they've kind of lost out there. But Gasly is actually a very talented driver. So they've picked it up pretty well. And also, arguably, if you look at it from one point of view, I know they're not rivals, so to speak, but Alpine have, by signing that driver, weakened Alpha Tauri, who, yeah, they're not a rival this year, but they've weakened another team by taking their driver. And they've also weakened the Red Bull stable by taking a Red Bull back driver. So, yeah, it's not the it's like it's a good move overall. They could have, in my opinion, I still think Alonso Piastri was the, clearly their number one choice, and I think having the indecision that came from that saga earlier in the summer has not put them in a good light at all. But I think in terms of a, a pick me up from the from the floor that they needed, Gasly is a is a very good like uh, pick me up, so to speak. I, I think. I think I mostly agree with Tom because you are right that Fernando Alonso was uh, is an is an exceptional talent and certainly this year he has caused lots and lots of trouble on track especially with his let's say uh, uncanny ability to keep people behind him for extended periods of time <laughs> and that comes down to Fernando Alonso's amazing car positioning fantastic spatial awareness uh, and also his you know, uncanny ability just to be able to, you know, wring the last ounces of performance out of the car without pushing it over the edge. And that's something I think certainly is why he's a, you know, double world champion. But the problem is, is in terms of the long-term future for Alonso, he's only going to go really one way, which is unfortunately out of Formula One. He's, He's getting on a bit now. And him going over to Aston Martin, I'm not, I don't know. I I can see it being a bit of a disaster for him. So, as it, they you know what they say, they always say is one door closes, another one opens up. And I think Alpine have looked at the 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 class of talent and picked up Pierre Gasly, who I would say is you know at this moment exactly equal in terms of talent to Esteban Ocon and actually the stats seem to back me up with this one because they are very 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 close um, in terms of their performance and I think if they get two Esteban Ocon's um, level of, of, of talent in in the team I think that puts them above other teams like McLaren and whereas someone like Fernando Alonso I think is going to get worse over time I can see Pierre Gasly and Ocon both going from strength to strength and perhaps their natural rivalry because they want to prove who's the, you know, perhaps the best French driver on the on the grid. Perhaps that level of rivalry will propel them to new levels. We saw the 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 immense pressure that 
Lewis Hamilton put on Max make you know make Max into a better driver and you know, probably the other way around as well. And you know if you look at great rivalries recently with um, Hamilton and Rosberg, I'd say that you know that the fierce competition there forced them both to do better than they ever thought they could before. I mean after the season um, in which Nico Rosberg won. Uh, the Formula One World Championship, as he likes to remind us every time he's on um, on TV. He actually said that one of the reasons why he retired was because he just couldn't keep up anymore. The the fitness, the mental sort of state he had to be in, you know, forced him to get to a new level that he never thought he would have to get to before. And mm. and so, you know, if, if that level of rivalry forces both Pierre Gasly and Esteban Ocon to, to get to a new level, then I think, actually they'll be doing better than if they had stuck around with Fernando Alonso. Mm-hmm. And on that point, how many years do you think we've got left of Pete Alonso? Are we going to see Pete Alonso next year in terms of Aston Martin and he's going to fall off a cliff? Because we've seen only too recently in terms of Kimi Raikkonen, drivers are great until they're not and then they fall off a cliff and then everyone goes, oh, why are they still here? So are we going to see something similar with Alonso come 2024 or five? I don't think he'll be here that long. I can honestly see... It's, it's a strange one because obviously we discussed before his move to Aston Martin and how it's a multi-year contract but then like he's has he got multi-years left in the sport basically um, I'm asking you but yeah that's that's the thing and I fired it right back at you but I will answer it but um, <laughs> yeah I was, hopefully because I love seeing Alonso in the sport but I don't know how much longer he, but he just hasn't dropped yet his levels are still the same even though he had what two years out before he returned last year so perhaps but I can't see him staying for longer than say past his multi-year contract so 24 yeah that's an interesting point 2024 uh, I don't know I, I mean clearly whether I mean, the length of time out um, Alonso is going to stay in the sport is entirely going to be down to how long he can either stand being in Aston Martin because of the 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 people or how long he can stand to be in Aston Martin due to performance and if he gets vettled by them um <laughs> then i think that he probably won't last as he's saying us more than end of his contract but in terms of his physical peak i reckon he's got 3 or 4 more years I think by the fourth year, he will be not where he is now. I don't think you can keep it up for that much longer. So I see him getting two two-year contracts out of Aston Martin and then hopefully projecting them up into a, you know, a, a better place. And then he'll probably exit out the sport come 2026. Maybe he'll stay for the 2026 season in order to help them with the the first year of the new engine regulations but after that i can also see aston martin if they're still even, you know if they're in the sport still deciding that they need to get more talent into the car as well because the other issue they've got is we don't know how long lance Stroll wants to stay in formula one as well mm. because although mm-hmm. although he is better than he used to be and he is better than he used to be and he did great in the wet and that was really good big shout out to lance Stroll actually for you know his good performance this weekend for Lance, this can't be that meaningful for him. You know, he has the opportunity to to drive or you know do whatever he wants in life because he is one of those people. And I can't see him thinking, "Yep, I want to be in fifteenth place for the rest of my life." I, you know, I could see hmm. him either becoming you know managerial within the team and getting into Formula One and having fun in Formula One in another capacity, or doing something like Extreme E or Formula E or something else where he can you know have some fun instead. So. I think perhaps you know it, Aston Martin won't keep Fernando Alonso around for that much longer. Maybe you know, they say end of twenty twenty six probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd have to agree. And apologies for that slight tangent. We now go on to the replacements of Pierre Gasly. We go on to the Dutchman Nick De Vries. He'll be racing for AlphaTauri next year alongside Yuki Tsunoda. For obvious reasons, the twenty seven year old has been released by the Mercedes Academy, but it's unknown how long his contract with the AlphaTauri constructor is or will be. Now it's worth noting that Mercedes boss Toto Wolff says he quote isn't worried about Nick De Vries taking any knowledge of Mercedes over to the sister team of the sworn enemy Red Bull. But then again.
again, he's hardly likely to say it's uh, giving him sleepless nights, is he? But what do we make of this move then in terms of Nick De Vries? He did so well with Williams getting that P9 points, uh, P9 finish, should I say. But what are our thoughts on him now being one of the two drivers for AlphaTauri? So I remember when I said, oh, Nick De Vries would never go to AlphaTauri because why would Mercedes let one of their best prospects go to Red Bull team? That would make no sense. Um, yeah, anyway. Um, so, overall, another good move. I think in terms of a replacement for Gasly, they had to be bold, AlphaTauri. Franz Tost quoted as saying that he wants an exciting option, exciting signing. Um, hence why they chased after Colton Herter for a long period of time. Hence why they wanted him to replace, to possibly replace Pierre Gasly. Um, and when that didn't materialise because of super licence issues, the next next best option was Nick De Vries. And I have to say, I think it's a great move. I think you get a talented driver who gets away into Formula 1 after having possibly several avenues being cut off. Um, and it also makes you think, if Nick De Vries can do what he did in a Williams on his debut at Monza, what could he do in an Alfa Tauri, a faster car? Um, and one that's more likely to be up in the higher echelons of the points so it's gonna be very interesting to see how that works out um i think it makes sense because for in terms of getting de Vries for red bull because one again they've weakened a rival they've weakened mercedes um by taking someone out of their driver academy even though he will still have links to mercedes at the same time um he's not driving for a mercedes team it's kind of like the opposite situation to alex albon who is still technically affiliated with the red bull yeah, he's driving for Williams Mercedes, but anyway. Um, at the same time, it makes sense too because Red Bull's Driver Academy has is filled with talent, but not talent that could realistically make the step up next year. You've got lots of drivers in Formula 2 who are Red Bull backed. You've got ones like Dennis Hauger, you've got Liam Lawson, you've got uh, Ayumu Iwasa, you've got Jayan Deruvula. You've got four... Red Bull back drivers there, but none of them are higher than fifth in the championship, and the ones who are in their first year of F2 are no higher than ninth in the championship, so not ready for Formula 1. Yuki Snowda came third in his first season of F2, and they considered him ready for Formula 1, so therefore it shows that they're not going to take a punt on one of those drivers. They've got a couple of drivers in F3 as well, who again had a, had their first year in the in the category and came within the top three or four drivers. But again, unless you're a Max Verstappen, you're not going to be promoted from F3 straight up to Formula 1. So, realistically, with junior options low, with Pierre Gasly on the way to another team, they had to look outside the academy. for the first, They had to do what they did when they signed Sergio Perez to the main team in 2021. They had to look outside the academy. And in terms of the options they had, this was the best one. They had they were going for someone who's been itching to get into Formula One. Realistically, someone like I don't know Nico Hulkenberg or Antonio Giovinazzi, who's been in F1 before, wouldn't really accept an Alpha Tauri drive necessarily. But someone like Nick De Vries would take both hands the chance to have a Formula One drive with Alpha Tauri, even if they are not Mercedes or Mercedes affiliated. So it ma- it makes sense for all parties it's a bit like the Gasly move it makes sense for all parties I mean De Vries gets his big chance um, he arguably gets the chance to be a team leader pretty quickly because unless Sonoda steps up his game then you could argue Nick De Vries if he hits the ground running is taking control of that team pretty quickly I'd say obviously early days and we don't know how it will pan out but it'd be fascinating to see if that would be the situation um and also, Alpha Tauri get a very talented driver um, who still brings a bit of backing, not as much, but he still brings a bit of backing. They also get someone who, and I emphasise emphasize this point, Nick De Vries will be 28 by the time he makes his Formula 1 debut next year, <laughs> which is old. But yeah. the thing at the end of the day is that he is already a GP2 champion, or Formula 2 champion, sorry, and he's a Formula E champion. He is, a, he is technically, even though it's Formula E, he's technically a world champion. So it's not too often you can take a world champion from another sport, or another form of motorsport, sorry, and bring them in to a Formula One seat. So, you know, not a bad situation to be in for AlphaTauri. They've got someone with a lot of speed who, if they hit the ground running, could really, really 
make strides next year. So I think a good move for both parties, really. And I'm fascinated to see how he does, really. I think it's possibly one of the really interesting subplots of F1 next year in like the midfield slash back of the grid area. That's an excellent summary. And mm. I, I happen to agree with you, actually. And pretty much everything you said, because Nick De Vries, thank you. I really showed himself to be a top class talent, and uh, I have to hold my hands up. I was incorrect on who he would end up going to, which is a bit of a shame, I think. <laughs> um, yeah, and and I mean, I still think that he could have wormed his way into Williams. Do you think? Yeah. and and that would have given him maybe a better like leg into the the top tier teams i don't know if i'm just being cynical but alpha towery is kind of like you know a, a short hit of of goodness um whereas i think williams would be the slow burn that you know he would then use to propel himself up to like mercedes Mm. And I mean, as previously said, Alpha Tauri are now ninth in the constructors. Williams are tenth, so you could even argue there's not too much difference between the two, aside from one's Mercedes and one is Red Bull, and one's a bit more bitey and snappy and less patient when yeah. it comes to performance. So that gives your point there. Carry on. Exactly, and we know as well that Sergio Perez is going to be in Red Bull for ages. I, I could just see it, and and Max is like nine years or something stupid. Um, <laughs> And, and, you know, as it turns out, Max Verstappen and Sergio Perez is a pretty formidable team. And so as much as like on the positives and this is, you know, everything Angus has said is definitely true. You know, it's fantastic. He's got to drive. My only concern is he's going to get sort of gaslied <laughs> or yeah. Albond. And <laughs> uh, but apart from instead of getting up to Red Bull and then going back down, I'm worried that he's just going to be a bit stuck, a bit like Gasly, a bit stuck, and then, and then you end up in Williams. Look at Albon. Um, anyway, so, so, I'm just thinking, just from a long-term plan, like it's brilliant. Nick DeVries really showed himself to be a, a fantastic talent, and you know, there's a whole episode where we spout how brilliant he is. But my just, my just concern is, is he going to get into it, and he's going to be there with Yuki Tsunoda, and Yuki Tsunoda, to be honest. I think he is going to peak at Alpha Tauri and will not go much further. And I'm worried that mm. Nick DeVries paired with that sort of Yuki Sonoda partner won't be able to show off what he can do properly, especially as Sonoda hasn't been bringing back the points particularly well this season. And the overall performance of Alpha Tauri, even if Nick did really well, you know, might not reflect his, his talent. And so... As you say, Tom, if Williams is also was also on the table, I think, and is only one place below, I think Nick could have done really well there. But at least he's got a seat, which is way better, way more than many other drivers will ever get. So I'm hoping he goes into AlphaTauri, absolutely storms it, collects many, many points for them, and is able to have a, a you know pretty long and, and fruitful career. I just, I'm just concerned that it's a bit of a honey trap. Mm. I have to agree there. And when I saw this news flash up, they'd be going to Alvatari. I had the thought, are Alvatari now really serious about being the sister team and not a junior team to Red Bull? Because ever since they rebranded themselves from Toro Rosso to Alvatari, they kept on saying, we're a sister team. We're not a junior team. We are a sister team to Red Bull. We are not a feeder team. And that was fine until... I suppose, you know, all the drivers from AlphaTauri then started continuing to go to Red Bull and there was no real change aside from, I suppose, the optics and semantics of the fact that the colour scheme was different, uh, staffing was different, engines were different in some capacities. But um, yeah, we didn't really take that claim too seriously. But now, is this the sort of watershed moment where we see AlphaTauri go, well, actually, you're secured in your driver lineup with Verstappen and with Perez, What's the point in us promoting young drivers who aren't ready only for them to get stuck in the pipeline? We might as well go and plough our own furrow and, you know, put ourselves first and select a driver who can nurture uh, the young Yuki Tsunoda, who's still as talented yet raw, 
when uh, Gasly is leaving because I think it was quite clear that Gasly's stubbornness, I suppose, and his desire to get out of that trap was soon going to be, you know, fruitful in many regards because of the sort of blockage, I guess, of, of Perez and Verstappen doing so well at the very top teams and the fact that in many aspects Gasly had had his chance at Red Bull but things just hadn't really worked out. But then to flip that on its head and to play doubles advocate against myself, was someone like Nick de Vries realistically the best option that they had moving forwards? Because if they didn't go for um, Nick de Vries, they could have gone for Daniel Ricciardo. Doubt that would have happened. Ricciardo's spoken about his desire to have a reset and a year out of the sport. And also, once again, you're going back to a driver you'd formerly had. You've got someone like Mick Schumacher, who's still in contract talks with Haas, so that's a sticky subject there. Not going to go for Albon because obviously he's with Williams now and doing rather well. And as Angus has mentioned and uh, described so eloquently, there is little talent coming through uh, as Yuki Tsunoda was previously. So there were few options really and they thought, well, maybe um, Nick de Vries, who's shown talent, but only really in one race, maybe he's the solution. Because yes, he did really well in that Williams uh, race and did really well to get P9. But then again, there's been so many other drivers who have done so well in their first race. Guan Yuzhou, for example, got points in his first race. So I thought, oh, here we go. Guan Yuzhou has arrived. What a driver he's going to be. And then things haven't really continued as they are. So there was still a bit of a gamble about this move. There's still a lack of race experience. There's a lot of garage experience granted. But um, yeah, we'll see how this one goes. But congratulations to Nick DeVries. I wouldn't be too concerned if I'm Mercedes, though, in terms of giving knowledge over to Red Bull, because I'm not too sure what knowledge Red Bull can give Mercedes, aside from the fact that maybe saying, well, don't do it this way, because this way is <laughs> the wrong way, really. And with the Drivers' Championship all done and dusted, the Constructors is the only championship remaining where it's yet to be clear who's going to be winning that. But officially, or unofficially, it seems like Red Bull have got that one all sewn up. But looking further down the Constructors, there seems to be a nice few battles brewing towards the top as well. We now look to, for example, McLaren versus Alpine for P4, the gap being 14 points at this current point in time. You've currently got Alpine sitting in fourth, and then you've got uh, McLaren sitting in fifth. So what are our thoughts on this battle? Will Alpine hold their ground, get that P4 place, take it back from McLaren, or uh, will they lose it last moment and be ruining the chances they may be missed in the races to come? But also races gone past as well. That's very cynical, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> are they going to lose it? No, I don't think so. I, th I think they're pretty secure. I just, I mean, why do you think they wouldn't? Why do you think they wouldn't keep their position? Well, because you look at the uh, momentum, for example, coming from McLaren. You've got, you know, P7, P7, P4, P10 from one of their drivers. So the momentum there seems to be going. Mm. And you, when you consider as well, you've got uh, Alpine with Renault once again having a few more reliability issues. All I'm saying is, with the gap being only 14 points, it's not an insurmountable task for McLaren to go and leapfrog them and for things to go horribly wrong for Alpine particularly when you've got one of their drivers no longer contracted to them and perhaps being willing to be a bit more loose with his driver style and put himself first versus the team but um, I, I know what you're saying but the thing is you kind of highlighted it I think on the fly which is one of their drivers <laughs> um, mm, I, I think true. the problem with with McLaren this year is they are driving with one arm tied behind their back and that little Daniel Ricciardo shaped arm is not really necessarily pulling his weight <laughs> and look we're getting towards the end of the season now when we're getting to the really fast high speed tracks and Daniel hasn't exceeded at them this year his performance has been consistently sporadic and he's had lucky moments I think you know, looking at like last the last race, for example, and you know, he was pretty lucky to end up, you know, where he did. And but you know, if you look at actually how he's done across the whole season, he's still in twelfth place. And that's that's the problem I think for him. He's just he's been unable to be able to bring home the points consistently. And so when we hit that one race that he does okay at, we're like, oh, brilliant. Daniel's doing well again and then he's not but if it was two Lando Norrises for example I think they would be doing much better but I think Tom the problem McLaren is and you know I, I like McLaren a lot they are my favorite team is they 
you know, I it, with two Daniel Ricardos, I think they would be in ninth place. And I think mm. with two Lando Norrises, they would certainly be into fourth, way ahead of Alpine. And that's the problem they've got. Instead, they've averaged the two. And they're currently in <laughs> in fifth place. And yeah, Alfa, Alfa Romeo is behind them by 80 points. But that I don't think that detracts from the fact that McLaren is kind of now in, in limbo, in nowhere's, sort of no man's land. Whereas Alpine, I think they've got the wind in their sails. And yes, they've got reliability issues with Renault, but their reliability issues are kind of for the right reasons, if you like. they <laughs> their, their engine blows up on them when they're doing really, really well. And that kind of unreliability is forgivable to me because at least they're pushing. Daniel is being unreliable in a different sense. He's just trundling. And, <laughs> you know, he's admitted that he's not going to be on the sport in the mm. sport next year. And he came out and said uh, that he hoped to be in, in, in Formula One in 2024. But to be honest, I... I I can't see it unless he wants to go to Williams. I'd love him to go to Williams because I you know, really like Daniel Ricciardo. But I think that's the reason why Alpine's going to do really well. I think Alpine's got the right type of unreliability. And they've got two drivers within the, the team in Fernando Alonso and Esteban Ocon that are really, really good. And it's going to be unfortunate that Alpine's going to get these unreliability issues. But so did Red Bull. And Red Bull doing really well. You kind of hope that they push through that to get to the other side whereas mclaren are having to look fundamentally at the team that structure and its driver lineup to reassess how it picks up the pieces after this season and i really do hope they do but at the moment i can't see mclaren beating alpine next year and i can't see them at the moment beating them this year alpine will come forth for several reasons some of which have been alluded to already number one McLaren's driving with one driver, effectively. Lando Norris has 78% of their points this year, which is ludicrous to think. Um, and when that 22% is from Daniel Ricciardo, it really puts it into perspective. Daniel Ricciardo, this year, has the same amount of points finishes as Williams. That's how much he's been underperforming. And you think about that Williams car and how much those drivers have had to push it on its day to get points. Says a lot, really. Um... Alpine also has fundamentally a faster car. I know they had that blip in Singapore, which wasn't helped by their unreliability, but they have a faster car. Suzuka showed it. They got a better car in a straight line. Notice how Esteban Ocon was able to... I know Mercedes in a straight line is like weak, but look how Esteban Ocon was able to hold off Hamilton for about pretty much the whole race, the whole 40 minutes or whatever they were racing for in Suzuka. And... We're coming up to circuits where, uh, well, you can say this about most circuits these days, but circuits where straight line speed is important. Big long straights in USA and Mexico, Sao Paulo, lots of straight line speed is always key. Um, the only thing that can maybe hold them back is the air. It's a very, very nuanced point, this, but the air in Mexico and Sao Paulo is, um, there's, well, the race is at higher altitude, and that usually, um, like, increases the chances of unreliability. But I think at the end of the day, they st- Alpine struck a decisive blow last time with that, what was it, 18 points they got from Suzuka compared to McLaren's solitary point, um, allowing them to regain the momentum that they lost after Singapore, having lo- having ceded the uh, the chance to go in front in the... or stay in front in the, in the battle for fourth. So I can only see Alpine consolidating their lead going into the final few races um, because a stronger car better characteristics for the circuits coming up and they have two drivers not one sorry Daniel (laughs) yes but let's remind ourselves of uh, 2020 where it went down to the final race this being for third place and it was McLaren who beats both Racing Point and Renault so I don't want to you know sort of you know push an agenda or anything but just saying it has happened before it could happen again. Now we go down to the battle for P9 between Haas and the aforementioned Alpha Tauri. Imagine saying that after a few points. They are equal on points uh, when it comes to those two constructors. Who is going to get 8th place? Who do you feel could get ninth out of those two? Oh, good questions. Good questions. Um, oh, 
I don't know. I really don't know. It's so bizarre, but I feel I feel like Haas has had a real roller coaster of a season. Wouldn't you agree? Uh, if you were to plot Haas's mm. like success on the y-axis and then time on the x-axis, like at the beginning of the season, it shot up to a million, mm. <laughs> and like as the season's gone down. It too has also gone down. So as time has progressed, we've sort of shot down again. And it, it must be really weird for like Gunter Steiner, the team principal, and also Gene Haas, because they kind of came out of the gates having more success than they probably should have. And we got the memes of the the Steiner um, ship being getting bigger and bigger and bigger each time he did they did well, and. So, you know, if you're Gene Haas, you're thinking, oh, my goodness, you know, we've designed this incredible car. We've got this incredible Ferrari power unit behind it as well, which is amazing. And we're in fourth. We might, well, you know, finish this season in sort of fifth, sixth, maybe seventh place. And then the rest of the season's happened. And it feels like where where Ferrari's strategy team has been, you know, pretty poor and inconsistent they stick their what they believe is their poor strategy team into Haas because Haas's strategy calls this year have been even more bizarre than Ferrari's like I I reckon they must have a a strategy like um development program within Haas because I don't know who does the strategy because it, it, it at times it almost feels like they are trying to be bad in the last race for example in japan they stuck mick schumacher out on the on the wet tires for far too long when everyone else was in intermediate tires just so that he could for you know for a moment he was leading the race because everyone else is else pitted and they went oh no we'll uh we'll keep you out mick because um there might be a safety guy you know and of course there wasn't and so he then pitted and came out stone dead last and, it, you know, there's been things like this the whole season when they've just been putting weird tyres on the car. They've been pitting at odd times. They've they've almost been, like, undercutting themselves with with Kevin Magnussen and Schumacher having, like, weirdly competing strategies as well. And so as the season's gone on, they've kind of got worse and worse and worse until I think what Haas is currently coasting on is that initial portion of success. And it hasn't helped that, you know, Mick's got basically half the points of Kevin Magnussen. So if, you know, if Schumacher was able to keep up with with Kevin, I guess they would be doing a little bit better, i.e. they'd be challenging Aston Martin. But I think if Haas don't beat Aston Martin at the end of this, they, they they should feel completely devastated because they came off... And it came out of the gates completely flying. You know, we were all saying that Haas was going to do brilliantly. Now, Alpha Tauri, on the other hand, I feel like the wind's got in their sails a little bit. And, you know, Pierre Gasly, let's face it, is doing really well this year. Whereas Yuki Sonoda seems to be, do you want to say, struggling a bit? Because he's on, Yuki Sonoda's got 11 points, which isn't brilliant, to be honest. And, you know, Pierre Gasly, again, 23 points. A double. So it seems to me like they both got in the situation where they've got one driver who's not really holding, you know, their own in Yuki Tsunoda, AlphaTauri, and Mick Schumacher and Haas. Then you have the other driver, Kevin Magnussen at Haas, and Pierre Gasly at AlphaTauri, keeping them in, in the running for those better positions. So I I think, however, on balance, it, um, it will be AlphaTauri that beats Haas simply because I can't see Haas keeping up the momentum for the rest of the season. I feel like Haas need to enter into like a micro season where we only have four races. <laughs> yeah, it's um, I think it's generous of you to call it a battle for P P eight or whatever because nobody <laughs> nobody nobody seems to want it at the moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, having looked and. They've, They've been so static that Aston Martin have gone from... So in the, in the last seven races, uh, Haas and AlphaTauri have scored seven points between them 
in that time, which is uh, not too many. And in that same time period, Aston Martin have gone from being on 18 points and nowhere to being on 45 points and challenging for sixth. So Aston Martin have gone by, shoot, shot by at fast pace, whilst Haas and AlphaTauri have just sort of not done much with their lives um, in that time. And it's a weird one because both teams could be considered to have more experienced drivers who are reliable, solid performers. I'd argue you could argue, you could argue Gasly goes further than that. And then drivers who were rookies last year have potential, but don't show it as often as they maybe should. In Mick Schumacher and Yuki Tsunoda, um, one of which and Schumacher possibly will be out of the sport next year. So there are also two teams who have not really like progressed from the start of the season they both started off all right they got got some points finishes in there they both have via magnuson and gasly a top five finish from earlier on in the season so they both have like that's that potential to reach that on a very very good day um it's just that very very good day as shown by the one top five result only happened once um at the same time trying to predict a winner I think I do have like a a clear like uh, idea of who will get it. I think AlphaTauri will get it simply because their recent form is more promising, <clears throat> and the fact that Gasly has been in the points a few he's been in the points three times in the last five races, whilst Kevin Magnussen, as the lead driver of Haas, has not really been anywhere in the that same period, and you see the Haas car str- still struggling to get out of Q one sometimes let alone into q3 whilst the alpha tauri is on a couple occasions more has made it into q3 at the end of the day if you qualify higher you give yourself a better chance of scoring points on race day so based on that i'd give the slight advantage to alpha tauri at the same time i do joke about it being about both teams not really seeming bothered about who gets it but at the end of the day even eighth and ninth place there's so much prize money in formula one that even the difference between eighth and ninth place is still like I'm not quoting an exact figure here, but it could be in the region of five to ten million dollars extra prize money, which for a team like Haas especially is gold dust. So it's an important battle down at that end of the grid, regardless of the what's going on at the front, what draws our attention more. But if you had to put me on the spot and I'd to pick a winner of that one, I'd say Alpha Tauri will probably just scrape it. Yeah, and this is huge for us, isn't it, really? When you consider how poorly they did last season, nowhere near the points you've obviously had, the fiasco when it comes to Mazepin and the sponsor there leaving, which was, of course, owned by his dad. So a lot of money gone from Haas. And them getting P8 versus P9 could be the difference, really, to A, what sort of car they feel next season, but also how long they're in the sport. Because we've had comments recently from uh, from Gene Haas, actually, saying about McSchumacher. He's a very talented driver, very uh, a driver full of promise, but he's a driver that causes us, really, a lot of damage in terms of the cars, and then also the bank account as well, because they've had to go and rebuild so many cars because he keeps on crashing. So, it's a bit of a sticky situation for Haas, but I don't know, with with the with the Texan Grand Prix next, I feel that they could surprise everyone and get themselves some points. Not talking too much, but maybe a P9, a P10, a P8 run there. And that could really be the difference because both teams have seemingly been allergic to getting points over the last few races, aside from one or two ex- exceptions there. Um, I do, however, agree there are... You know, pros in both teams. You have Magnussen, for example, who can seemingly pull points out of anywhere. Look at the start of the season, for example, on that one. And then Gasly, who we've spoken about as well, a very talented driver. He's doing so well in the Drivers' Championship when ultimately the car that's been developed for him is quite below par, really. So either of them could get it, but I feel that Haas will hold on to this one, really. And I feel that we're due another good performance by Mick Schumacher because he's shown it when it comes to Austria and the British Grand Prix, how good he can be. And there's been so many close calls in terms of him being near the points and for whatever reason, uh, not getting that owing to, let's say, uh, his own faults or someone else's. So I would back Haas to nick this one, but I can't see them climbing any higher than 8th. And if they do get 8th, it would be by a handful of points that I can count 
on one hand. But now, as mentioned at the start, hopefully, of this podcast, where the next Grand Prix is the Texan Grand Prix. We are going over to Austin. Uh, we look there for a circuit where Verstappen and Hamilton have both done so well in uh, races gone by. The last person who got pole position there was Max Verstappen. Fastest lap was Lewis Hamilton, but then Verstappen won it on the Sunday. So... This is a track where both constructors have done well. And could this be a chance for Mercedes to finally get their first race win of the season? Not something I thought I'd be saying at the start of the season. No. Uh. <laughs> they, uh, they don't have the Well, do they have the speed? No, they don't. They don't have the speed. Do you remember last year? Right, I feel like we're in, into... Yeah, do, do you remember last year? <laughs> <laughs> last year felt so long ago. But we had the battle between... Like Mercedes, who had the top line speed, and that incredible engine, fast, fast car, and versus Red Bull, who didn't have the speed, but they had the aerodynamics, and Max mm. won through luck, effectively, luck and excellent strategy. But if you remember, Hamilton was chasing him down at the end because the top line speed is key at circuits of the Americas. And unfortunately, Mercedes is not fast down the straights. It doesn't have that straight line speed. And I think they're going to come into problems because of the same thing. I think they will be quick in terms of, like, you know, out of the top three teams, I think they'll be third, um, which is where they kind of are. That's a, you know, a really boring prediction, but it's true. Whereas Ferrari has the straight line speed and Red Bull as is sort of you know in in the hybrid of them of of their um of the two so i think we're going to have a weird situation again where red bull is able to strategize to max into a victory but instead of mercedes chasing them down and trying to use their straight line speed to the advantage i think it's going to be ferrari that does so if you if you you know pin me down and said you gotta you got to predict the winner then I would say it's going to be Max Verstappen 1, Charles Leclerc 2, Sergio Perez 3, and then I reckon Lewis Hamilton 4, followed by George Russell. And I think science is going to break down. <laughs> um, yeah. Because, it's, yeah, it's unfortunate. But no, I don't think they're going to get a victory here. I don't think Mercedes is going to get a victory here because I just don't think they've got what it takes in terms of the, the raw performance. And this is a particularly fun track. It's one of my favourite tracks, actually. There's loads of great things about it. Um, in the in the first sector, you go through these, like, S's. And that reminds me a bit of Silverstone. And then you have the, the great run mm. um, up the hill at the at the uh, the start of the of the race and um, across the start finish line as well. That bit's brilliant. It's got great. It's, you know, it's a great track. But unfortunately, none of this stuff really favours Mercedes. I'm going to stick my neck out there, and make a nice ambitious prediction because oh, I read no. an article a few months a few months back from a month or so back. George Russell saying that they thought Austin was the best chance for victory in the last few races of the season. Mercedes have an upgrade this weekend. Toto Wolff has played down expectations, sandbagging immediately. I like it, Toto. It's what they used to do back in the glory days when they dominated the sport. They would always say, oh, pre-season testing, they'd be like, oh, we're like two seconds off Ferrari. We're not going to win the championship this year. First race, 1-2, win by half a minute. So he's definitely playing down expectations because he knows something that he doesn't want to tell us. Um, but so yeah, I'm just going to go for... George Russell to win his first Grand Prix on Sunday. Uh, he's going to win the Austin Grand Prix. Max Verstappen and Red Bull will want to wrap up the Constructors' Championship, but they won't have their, their eyes fully on the prize because Verstappen's won the championship already. He'll be, I predict he'll come off the top of his game a little bit in the last few races. I think Ferrari will find a way to unstrategize themselves from a win somehow. Um and therefore I think George Russell's going to come through and he's going to beat off the natural affinity that Lewis Hamilton has with the United States and Russell's going to win his first Grand Prix this weekend you heard it here first well it seems that's all we got time for in terms of episode 34 of F1 in Review thank you very much for listening all the way to the end of this episode be that on your preferred podcast provider or via River Radio be that live or via the listen back feature 
A reminder that you can follow myself, Tristan, and the F1 in Review account on Twitter. Our handle for F1 in Review is just like that, so no hyphens or nothing, just F1 in Review, capital F, look for us. Do give us a follow if you can. And as we mentioned there, we look forward now to the Texan Grand Prix. If you're watching or listening to this in the UK, qualifying will be 11pm. That's 11pm UK time on the Saturday. And then on the Sunday, UK time again, that'll be 8 till 9.45pm. So gone for me. Really early start, so really late start. So be prepared for that this weekend. But as I say, that's all we've got time for in terms of this episode. Thank you very much for listening. And we'll be back next week to review what happens at this Grand Prix. Thank you.